Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. I will be speaking about the Kabbalah of you. The reason for that is because today is the 18th of the Hebrew month of Elul. It's a unique day, an extraordinary day. It's actually a birthday. It's actually two birthdays. Yeah, there's more to add, but we'll stop there. It is called the birthday of the two great luminaries. Two great mystics, spiritual masters, which I submit have changed the entire course of history and the world. The first is the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, born in the year 1698. The second is the student of his student, called the Alter Rebbe Rab Zama of Liadi, also born on this day in the year 1745. He is called the founder of the Chabad Hasidic movement. Now I know for some of you these may be names you've never heard of before, or maybe you did hear. Even if you heard of them, you may not fully appreciate. Frankly, who can fully ever appreciate anybody, especially people on this caliber? So we're here to talk about and demystify and speak exactly about the relevance of these two individuals to our lives. And I'll try to do this in a... Um, condensed way obviously you cannot cover and do justice and in an extensive fashion in a short period but i hope to be able to concentrate the points in a way what is called which means a small amount of speaking contains compact and powerful in uh, immense amount of energy as much as i can concentrate in this short period I qualify because there are entire books written about this, volumes. So though the Baal Shem Tov actually, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov was his full name, um, did not really leave much writing, but he left an oral tradition. And his, and his um, and the Rabbi Shneizam, on the other hand, did write and also left oral writing, but much more elaborate than his predecessor. So, Let's begin with a short introduction on the significance of the mystical teachings in general and its role in our lives and its relevance to us. You know, one of the most important things, maybe the most important thing, most intriguing thing to each one of us is the question we can ask is what makes us tick? Who am I? You know, now I know it sounds like a simplistic question initially. Who am I? There's our body. There's what I see in the mirror. There's what you know about your personality. There's your friends and your social life. There's your uh, intimate life. There's your relationships. There's your, I mean, it goes on and on. But who are we? What makes us tick? This is one of the big questions that every mystic and every thinker grapples with. But to broaden the question, really, is this. It would seem that we would know a lot about ourselves because we are, you are you, so you should know a lot about who you are. And yet you find that we are more mysterious, even to ourselves, than outer space. We know more about things in outer space, we know more about things about this table, about this chair, than we do about ourselves. This small human being, in a five or six foot frame, weighing 100 to 150 pounds, we won't go more than that, is a mystery. There's a lot we know, but so much more we don't know. What about the brain, just our brain? It's a little more than, a little larger than the size of a palm, my palm. What do we know? 
Now, the point here is not to minimize what we know, just to amplify, or to, I would say, to uh, uh, focus on the fact that we know so little about ourselves. And the mystics come, especially the mystics we're speaking about, to actually dissect the human being and give us an x-ray of our souls. Of our bodies, you can get an x-ray today, you can get MRIs, other types of scans, other types of ways to measure what makes us physically tick, the different parts of our organs and our limbs and the inner workings of our beings, of our bodies. But the soul is far more complex because it's not visible. And yet we get a map. Now, what's the purpose of the map? It's not just to know yourself, but it's also to learn how to actualize yourself. Because if you don't know what you're made of, if you don't know what your potential is, what your soul is capable of, then you're definitely not going to actualize it. Now, it may happen by accident, and that's what often happens, but the more you know thyself, the more you can then focus, what is my calling? What am I good at? What are my strengths? Why am I here? Which, of course, is the second question. Who am I? And why am I? Why am I here? So those are the two big questions. Who you are and why you are, meaning why you're here, are two of the major questions that mystics address and that these two great teachers specifically talk about extensively. So, let's first put them in context. They came, come in a long line of tradition of sages and scholars and mystics that go back thousands of years, who, of course, dealt with these questions and left us with insight, with um, some of it cryptic documentation, some of it oral, and Rabbi, the Val Shamtov, and then later his, the, the Magid of Mizrich, his student, in turn, Rabbi Shneir Zama, student of the Magid, they turned it into a full, comprehensive system. The truth is the Baal Shem Tov did not yet develop it in a comprehensive way because what he spoke of was very short and brief and concise. But the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, who shares the birthday of, of, of today's day, the 18th of El, does develop it into an entire comprehensive system which is called Chabad Hasidic Thought. So there's an interesting expression used in describing the difference between these two mystics. The, the expression is just as follows. that the Baal Shem Tov taught how every person can, can connect and serve with the, the, the divine, God. The Alter Rebbe, the Rav Shneir Zalman, taught how everyone can connect and serve the divine. So one taught that everyone can, the other one taught how they can. An analogy given for this is, if you want to climb to a place you can't climb on your own, so the Baal Shem Tov provided the ladder. The Alter Rebbe taught us how to climb the ladder. Fascinating analogy. Because when you think of transcendence, which is the search for meaning, the search for higher purpose, the search for our calling, to answer those two questions. Who are you? And, what are you, and why are you? Why are you here? So in answer to that, you don't just want a philosophical answer. You want to know that you can reach places. You're capable of reaching places. And then how to reach. Take, for example, basic music lessons, dance lessons, art lessons. So you begin the, the journey of learning how to play music. The first thing the teacher tells you, I mean the first, I don't mean literally the first thing, but one of the first things is, 
that you're capable of achieving what you set out to achieve. You'll say, I don't even know how to play a key on a piano or a string on a violin or any type of instrument. The teacher says, you will learn how. You will learn and you'll be capable of playing beautiful music. So the first thing is you need to know that you're capable of it. The next thing is the question is, okay, so how? Teach me how. No, just te- don't just give me the confidence that I can. Teach me how. So these two luminaries, and that's what they're called, the birthday of the two great luminaries, the Shnei HaMa'oris the great luminaries, like the sun and the moon, as the Bible puts it, is the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe. I'll be using those terms because they're the easiest for me growing up with it. But these te- this, this class and this discussion is going to be something that is relevant to everyone, even if you've never heard of these two individuals. So there's the cap- capacity to, do, to reach the sky and beyond, and how to reach the sky and beyond. And that's the distinction between the two, and you see how they complement each other. And when I say sky, I don't mean it just figuratively. The fact that we say two luminaries, that means two sources of light, teaches us all how to become two luminaries in emulating what they taught us. And they both are luminaries, celestial bodies in the heavens, reflecting on reaching the stars and beyond. So, to put it in, in, um, in, in uh, let's put a little more formal, we call it mystical language. The, generally the mystics, especially the Hasidic masters, describe all phenomenon and all people and all realities, even God, with two dimensions. One we'll call etzem, the core, getting to the core root of something. What is, what is its, at its core root? The other is called hispastus, extension, or sometimes giluim, revelation, expression. So let's take ourselves as human beings. When you express yourself in words, in writing, in body language, even in thoughts, it's also an expression. Is that expression your core essence? The answer is most likely not. There's, you know, most of us can't even express our deepest intimate feelings in any words. And we all know that certain experiences, the deeper they are, the less expressive they are. Sometimes it's just pure, utter silence. I've spoken about this many times. You're asked to talk about sports, about the weather, about lots of nonsense, superficial things. You can talk and talk and talk for hours. Someone says, tell me about yourself, your innermost feelings, your loves, your pains, your traumas things that cause you so much um, aggravation. Barring the fact that you may not trust everybody, so you may not share, but even the people you trust, you'll find it's hard to find words. Because you'll often say, I just don't have the words to describe how angry I was. Or I don't have the words to describe how happy I was. Or how, how much it affected me, one way or another. And someone will push you and say, but please, share something. So even with the most loving people we have, Often it's intuition they pick up, or there's just few words, or there's certain expressions. So when it comes to superficial nonsense, as I said, you can talk and talk. Why is it that when it comes to the deepest things, you can't express it that well, or at all? The answer is because words are containers. And containers like are defined by parameters. So someone say, I'd like to have a, uh, a gallon of uh, gas, gasoline. So you bring them a, a, a container, it's only a quart. I can't pour a gallon to a quart in a container that's a quart. 
or I want to have a cup of water, and you come with a little, small little, barely t- visible container. The containers of words are just too small for the intensity of deeper feelings. So for things that are more superficial and not so vital, you could talk and you could talk and talk and talk and talk things that are meaningless, or even if it has some meaning. When it comes to deeper things, we search for another language that words are, some, are sometimes inadequate. So we look for the language called metaphor. A metaphor, a poem, a riddle, a type of expression that needs something more cryptic. You'll say, why? I remember as a kid, I was, what, what's this poetry? Why don't you just tell me what you want to say? Why are you putting it into such words that make it? Then you realize, because it's capturing a feeling, a sentiment that can't just be expressed in regular words. So metaphors basically widen the containers. It takes a quart and turns it into a gallon. And so on, as an example. But sometimes metaphor is also not sufficient. So, so a cry, oy vey, or a laugh, can contain more volumes than all the books in the world. And then there are times experience is so profound, for good or for neg- positive or negative, that even a cry is too much. It's like total shock, total disbelief. You don't even have a way to express it even in a sound. It's called the, the voice without a sound. The sound of silence. That can be more deafening than sound of sound. What's going on? The deeper you go into the core of something, the less expression it has. So going back, it's more etzem, less gilui. Now you say, okay, interesting. How does this play itself out in our lives? Well, I'll show you. This is vital. I remember in our class when I was a kid in school, so there's a kid that was very shy, and he also had a stutter. And I befriended him. And most people dismissed him as being stupid. And uh, you know, he was probably the smartest guy in the class, to be honest, once you got to know him. But he was so shy, and he had this additional stutter, that you never expressed it. Here's a perfect example. The teacher who would not understand, or a teacher who doesn't understand and doesn't have the professional wherewithal to know how to understand, could dismiss such a child and not ever expect anything and actually even laugh at the child. That would be the worst. And there you have it. The expression was not there, but the capacity was unbelievable. Cultivated. If someone had nurtured this child, ultimately he rose to the occasion, but I remember the years, the earlier years in his life, it was miserable for him. One day he was not appreciated, he was not respected, he was dismissed. Had someone understood that, they would have taken from his core and find a way to express it. So using again the mystical language of the Hasidic masters, there is our core, then there's our faculties, that's still our capacities, and then there's our expression of them through thought, speech, or action. There's only three ways to express yourself. For all practical purposes, we're going to be talking mostly about the core and the faculties and expression. But in truth, if you break it down, you could say there's the core of who you are. There are your faculties, like your intelligence and your emotions. That still doesn't mean you're expressing them. And then there's your actual expression. You say, I love you. You concentrate and think and contemplate an idea. And then there's the core, which we can't even define by faculties. So it's really three dimensions. The Baal Shem Tov, as we're going to soon discuss, helped appreciate the core. He p- helped reintroduce and revisit and reclaim the core, the Etzim. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, 
took that core and turned it into a system that we can express it. So he taught that we're capable, we're able to reach there. And the Alter Rebbe developed a system based, of course, on the Balshem teachings and those that came before of how to access it, how to climb the ladder. That's why they're so so fundamental because they actually are teaching us two key things in ourselves that you have the capacity to reach the deepest dimensions of your soul which in turn helps you to reach the deepest dimensions of the divine of transcendence and you can also express it in words in other words to express the inexpressible so what did the Baal Shem Tov do Baal Shem Tov was a man named as I said Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov who was unknown till he was age 36 he was what was called a tzaddik nister, a concealed and hidden tzaddik. But he was a powerful soul. His father died when he was a very young child. At his deathbed, his father told him two things. Fear no one but God and love everyone unconditionally. The fear no one but God would drive his entire life and to love everyone unconditionally. Because he had it ingrained in him. So now, as this little boy grew up, became part of the secret these secret uh, alliances that they would study and they would do good deeds but no one really knew of who they are it was healthier that way better that way at age 36 he was told to now reveal himself in a sense bring his core and reveal which is not really what I want to go into but the point what did he teach so he didn't teach anything new this is critical to mention because very often you think, oh, these innovators, these pioneers, they must have developed something new. The most fascinating thing is the greatest teachers don't teach anything new. They just re- revisit. They help us see something that was always there. The example given for it is like seeing a flower in a, in, in a, in a uh, let's say, engraved in marble. When you look from a distance, you don't see it. But you shine a light on it, you suddenly see it emerge. Or using Michelangelo's terms, he saw the angels trapped in the marble. He carved and carved, and I set them free, he said. So the truth is, like the, the Joe goes, this great professor who wrote a paper, his magnum opus for half his lifetime, gave it to the wizards, the, wizard, the wizards of the world, the smart wizards. They came back, consensus, unanimous mark on his paper. This is the work of his lifetime, his life work. They said, we all agreed that what you wrote was good and original. And he breathed a sigh of relief. Amazing. Gets such a uh, such affirmation from his colleagues, from his peers. But he says, but there's one problem. We all felt that the part that was good was not original, and the part that was original was not good. Someone will come and say, I've, I've invented, I've created a new musical note. There's no such thing as a new musical note. The spectrum of music is so-and-so. The power of it is, is the same musical note, but a different order, organizing them in new ways. So it's important to mention that these great teachers and great masters taught, are teaching us truths that are embedded in existence, embedded within us, embedded in the very DNA and fiber of our beings and of all the cosmos. However, what is their brilliance? To see it. Even more so, to teach it. To empower, to help us see it. So the Baal Tov lived in a very interesting time. As I said, born in 1698. Literally on the, on the dawn of the 17th century. Well, the end of the 17th century. Uh, the 1600s is the 17th century, right. And what was the period of time? Think about it. It was a real transitionary time. Basically from the Middle Ages, some call the Dark Ages, to the modern times. 
This was the time of emancipation of the Jews began, the time of what some call the Enlightenment, some call the end of the Renaissance, as it led into the new age of modernity, which would lead into in the 17th century, of course. 1776 would be the founding of America, United States of America, the newfound freedoms, the concepts of the Bill of Rights, a new world, and particularly a world where religion no longer would dominate and become the war between science and religion, which spilled over into politics and into basically every aspect of our existence. And I'm talking mostly in the Western world. So the Baal in a sense, anticipating, as a great mystic would do, and you could even say God sending a person like that, of the challenges to come, dug deeper and realized the corruption, the possible corruption that religion was going through, and other challenges of assimilation and other factors that would affect the Jewish people, but also all people. So he saw it necessary to reconnect to the core essence of who we are. What was happening was the mind was becoming, uh, people were worshipping the mind, intellect. So if you're a smarter person, if you're a scholar, you have value. If you're a simple person and were ignorant, illiterate, you were dismissed. Politics was the proletariat, the bourgeois. Bourgeois. Even though, well, we didn't deal with it on that level, but the same concept. So how do you connect all people in a way that allows them to really discover their deepest truths is by, dis- by revealing their core, their essence. So his challenge was embracing that and teaching us the essence of who we are. And he did this the simple things. He was a teacher's helper, the equivalent of a bus driver today. He wasn't even a teacher of children. He helped a teacher of children bring the children to school. But he didn't just walk them. He would talk to them. He would talk to them about deeper ideas. Not deeper ideas philosophically, but about that there, there is a higher force in this world, that you have a soul. And that when you, someone asks you, how are you, you say, thank God. Simple faith. But this wasn't simplest at all. It wasn't simple at all. It was appreciating that the core, what really is important to a person, are those elements, faith, truth, soul, love, connection, transcendence. Not how smart you are, not how academic you are, not how much you can do. But you want to, everything to be coming from the core essence, from your innocent place. Children have that at their core. And what happens? It's knocked out of them. We turn them into efficient machines. People have pointed out already that our education system, which actually also began a little after that, elementary school, which is named after military school, was about teaching children to become efficient military. Napoleon, Frederick the Great, they turned curriculums, mathematics, the tangible physical sciences, and arts, music, all the ethereal teachings became like hobbies, became extracurricular, extra, nice extracurricular, yeah, not uh, extraterrestrial, extracurricular activities. But if you look at children, their natural state is imagination, is adventure, is free abandon. So we're forcing souls who have a certain, who, who dream, who imagine, to become efficient machines. I'm not dismissing the importance of efficiency, but efficiency is a tool, it's like a tool chest. To be a master of the tool chest and someone say, so why are you here? Now remember there was a big backlash and legitimately so against corrupt religion, which was so-called had the monopoly on these elements of faith. The Balshantav actually, in a way, loved to pray in the fields. He was not an embracer of established religion. 
And that's why he was actually a threat to some, because they saw him as a type of like rebel, maverick. Though he's firmly steeped in the greatest teachings of scholarship and so on, but he once went into a synagogue. And he came running out. He said, I can't pray there. It's too packed. They said, it's not packed at all. People full of people. He said, no, you understand. Prayer needs wings. Prayer is like a bird. For prayer to have wings, it needs to have love and awe. It has to have emotion. It has to have vitality. It has to have spirit. And the prayers there don't have any spirit, so all the prayers remain in the synagogue. So it's so packed that the birds are not flying. It's like full of dead birds. This was the Baal Shem Tov. Looking for the spirit in things and trying to reignite something that perhaps the years of oppression had somewhat concealed. The, the forces of assimilation were beginning to affect all the different forces of life, material difficulties in life that wear us down, the need to survive. You can sometimes lose sight of what a person really is. And the value, the value of valuing people who seem to have more expression but not valuing their core. And that's what he taught. That at the essence, we all have something that is extraordinary. Some people have, have the education, have the have the refinement, have worked on themselves, and are able to also live a life like that. But everyone has it at the core. And he taught that simple faith, the simplicity and innocence of a child, of a man, woman, and child, who may be illiterate even. Classic story, the Baal Shem Tov, among many. Tell two, capture the same idea. It was Rosh Hashanah, and it was an especially difficult year, and everybody was in the synagogue praying to to annul the decrees, the harsh decrees that were upon the Jews then. And of course, the great tzaddikim, the righteous ones, prayed with all their kavanas and all their intentions and all. But the Balshamtiv sensed it wasn't breaking through, it wasn't piercing heaven properly. Since everybody in the synagogue was crying and praying, and everybody had come Rosh Hashanah, so he also had a lot of people who were, not, who were more simple people who didn't know how to pray necessarily. Some didn't even know how to read Hebrew. One of them was a little farm boy, and he sees people. He looks around. He sees people crying and yelling and so on. He didn't know how to pray. He never went to school. So what did he do? He began crying out. What does a farm boy cry? The voices and the sounds of the farm. He began saying, Kukuriku, Kukuriku, because he would wake up with a call of the rooster in the morning, and that was the sound. And people started hushing him down, Kukuriku, this is Rosh Hashanah, a little, a little awe, a little respect, a little, a little um, dignity here. And the Baal Shemtur stopped them all and said, that just pierced all the heavens, because that cut right through all the formalities, the innocence, the purity. Now this isn't advocating illiteracy, it's appreciating what the core, what all of us have this, no matter who you are. This has nothing to do with sophistication, it has to do with your core essence. I'll tell a third, three, I said, I said two stories, I'll tell a third one, a bonus. Second story, there was a guy praying in a synagogue. Now he was illiterate, and he never, I mean he knew how to read Hebrew, but he did not know where the prayers were. And he was sincere, but Nebuch, a sincere person that was ignorant. So he would pray the whole siddur, the whole prayer book every day. Moshemto comes into the synagogue and he sees everyone finish praying and he's still sitting there. He's very impressed. The guy's really into his prayers. Goes over, looks over his shoulder and sees 
he's turning, he finished the morning prayers, now he's reading the afternoon prayers, then the evening prayers, then the prayers before going to sleep, the prayers you say on Pesach, on Shavuos, on Sukkot, on Rosh Hashanah, you say at a circumcision, you say at a funeral, you say at a wedding. You can imagine. Boshemta patiently waited. After he finished, Boshemta went over and said, you know, you really pray, pray beautifully. But I can show you how to pray even more beautifully. And he said, I'll make bookmarks to tell you that where the prayers end for the morning, what you say in the afternoon, what you say different times of the year, different occasions and events. The man was ecstatic. He thought it was a secret only the Baal Tov knew. And great, from here on, he still prayed with sincerity, but now it took a lot faster because he knew where to stop and where to begin, where to end. Okay. What happens next is one day, unfortunately, someone knocks over the sitter, the prayer book, and all the bookmarks went flying. He's looking around. Where's the Baal Tov? I need him to re- replace the bookmarks. See, the Baal Tov had finished praying, had taken his talus and tefillin, his, his, uh, his prayer shawl, and, uh, and he was walking briskly out, and the Baal was a quick walk. He started running after him. Baal was walking through the woods. This guy's running and trying to... But the Baal was very quick. Finally, he sees down there there's a little riverlet. Ah, the man says, by the river, he's going to have to find a way to cross, so that's when we'll catch up with him. Baal comes to the river in a Baal style, pulls out a handkerchief, waves it over the little river, and walks right over. The man in his ecstasy, and his uh, passion, I guess, and his excitement, didn't even notice. He did the same. And he walked over. Finally, he caught up to the Baal Shem Tov somewhere. The Baal Shem Tov looked at him. Where are you coming from? He says, I've been running after you for half an hour. He says, what? what what's the problem? He says, I'm frantic. He says, my sitter fell down. All the papers went flying. The Baal Shem Tov said to him, he says, how'd you get here? He says, I followed you. He says, what'd you do by the river? So he says, you took out a, a, a handkerchief and waved it, and I did Bashemtov smiled or laughed and said, If that's the case, you can continue praying like you're always praying. The sincerity. And finally, not a story, a metaphor of the Bashemtov, being that it's his birthday. The metaphor, a, metaphor a, a story, an anecdote based on a verse. It says in the Psalms, Pray like a pauper. Pour out your soul. Pour out your. For God, you, you pour out your words, your soul, your heart. The Baal Shem Tov says, why like a pauper? You should pray like a wealthy person, like an affluent, like a prosperous person. And he gives an analogy. Two people were invited to see a king. The great king, you get once in a lifetime such an opportunity. One of them was a literate, educated, aristocrat. The other was an illiterate, pauper, peasant, they both, of course, were very uh, delighted that they have this opportunity. Comes the aristocrat, the educated, literate one, comes to a palace, he never saw such a thing. And because he was so literate, so literate, he appreciated it all. And what did he do? Began to look at the art on the paint on the walls and look at the literature and the music collections. He became so mesmerized and enamored with what was happening in all those chambers, he missed his appointment comes the illiterate peasant. He doesn't know all of, of what, all this. He walks right through all these chambers, ignoring them all, walks right into the king's uh, inner sanctum, has his audience. Said the Balshamtov, when you pray, you stand before the king. Pray like a pauper. Suspend all your sophistication. Let yourself be an innocent child. And you'll get the core itself, 
not all the expression, not all the fireworks, all the fanfare. The pauper didn't appreciate it all, so he went straight to the king, and, of course, he asked, please help me appreciate all of that. So we're not dismissing all those chambers, but those are the, that's the expression, that's the light, the great light, the giluyim, the or. We want the etzem, the core. So this is what the Baal Shem Tov taught, and that's why it teaches us that we all have the capacity, we all have that core essence within us, even as we grow into adults, always remember the inner child, the innocent, pure, that touches the core of everything beyond all expression. And it's something that, especially in our day and age, we really need. So one would think that that's enough. Okay, he finally he did something, he revisited, he reintroduced this core essence that each one of us has. Great. But no, but the point in life is not just to be living in the core. You don't live in a foundation. You need a foundation. You need the roots, but you need a tree. You need a building. Comes the Alter Rebbe Rav Shneir Zalman and codifies a system, a comprehensive system called Chassidus Chabad and takes that core essence and turns it into a viable methodology that each of us can use how to climb the ladder. Not just that we can do it, but how to do it. And this is a step-by-step system that's more than just that you have a core, but now how do you take that core and express it? How do you now revisit your expressive side? I mentioned expression, I mentioned manifestation. There's the etzim, there's the core. I said there's the expression. In other words, I use was the, the what I use, uh, revelation. Right. How do you reveal it now? And that revelation is just as important as the core. Because you want to make it a living blueprint that you can live by on a day-to-day basis. You can't just wait for Yom Kippur the holiest day of the year, when that essence and core is revealed. You want to live it on a day-to-day basis. You don't live in a foundation, as I mentioned. And this is a comprehensive system that the, Shem, that the Alter Rebbe did and developed, the second luminary of this birthday of Chayel, of the 18th of El. As a matter of fact, some of the students of the Magid, his colleagues, the, the Alter Rebbe's, didn't fully appreciate it. Some of them disagreed. They thought that he was compromising because they said the Shem Tov came to ignite a spark and you're turning back into a whole academic system. But those that really did appreciate it, and in retrospect, everyone came to learn to appreciate it, saw that, no, he was actually taking the Baal Shem Tov's core and turning that into a system. He wasn't moving away from it. Now that we have that core ignited spark, now that we have the, we have the king himself, now let's go back into the chambers of the art and the music and all the forms of expression and express ourselves with that inexpressible essence. So now you see how these two individuals were fundamental in teaching all of us, no matter who you are, even if you've never heard of them, two critical principles that each of us needs to know. That we have such a core and get to know what it's like. It's inexpressible, it's beyond words. And you have the capacity how to access it and how to express it. Now you could say, well, great. That's why this class is really an introductory point. Now the comes the job is to go study and learn about that. But I will share, and I share almost every week when I speak about these ideas, even though I don't always cite the sources, these two principles, finding that core element, the child in you, 
that transcends all your life experiences. When you talk about trauma, loss, abuse, hurt, these are all wounds on the giluyim level, on the expressive level, not on the core level. The core always remains intact. But then the core could be, you could have a healthy heart, but the arteries can be blocked, or the arteries can be clogged, or they can be compromised. So that's why you need not just the heart, you need the heart to express itself through the arteries. So you need a system to do so. But you need both because you want to have the confidence to know that you can always access that heart. And now we have to figure out how to get that heart beating and pumping blood through and clearing the, the, the uh, unclogging the arteries. So blood can come rushing. The same thing spiritually. Different fears and phobias and neurosis and uh, insecurities block us sometimes from accessing who we really are, our core. A child has certain access, but a child is a child. The key is to become an adult and connect to that core element of the child and not allow the disappointments and the betrayals and the violations, the violations against us and our souls to compromise and impede our way. And that's the system what's called Hasidic thought. It teaches both elements. that You have that at the core and that you can express it and how you can express it. So to go back to analogy, not the analogy, I actually use it, we have a core soul within us. It has faculties, intelligence, emotions, which really are almost infinite in their potential. What blocks us is our life experiences and our lack of awareness of what's really going on. So what happens is you become a victim, or at least a product, of your circumstances. So we start defining ourselves, not by who we are, but by what we do. What is your identity? What I do, it's a, it's a sum total of my life experiences. No, your identity is your core. And that core should be informing your expression. For most of us, it works the other way around. First, we have expression, one way or another. And then we try to see, uh, we, then we, that, that identifies us, and our core either remains completely hidden or partially hidden. But there's something always eating at us and pushing us to reach the deeper places. So comes this day of Chayel, the 18th of El, Chay in Hebrew, life. The life, the vitality, and the light that teaches us these two elements. The sun itself is a core of energy, like a, 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 a source. The light of the sun is expression. We each have a sun within us, and we have the light of the sun. And those are the two dimensions of Etzem and Gili. Now, not to suggest that the Alter Rebbe was only revelation and did not touch the core. As I said, firstly, the revelations and the expressions that he spoke about was all about core expressions, bringing it from the core. Secondly, he himself was involved deeply in the core of the identity of each one of us, the real identity. But he added, as well, this comprehensive system. The Baal Shem Tov too, even though he was on the core, he was a profoundly great scholar and profoundly working on it, in a very elaborate way. But he laid down, he laid the groundwork for the core connection. And the Alter Rebbe came in and then said, he, he gave us the ladder, here's how you climb the ladder. Here's how you develop it. And this is something that affects every part of our lives. Let's talk our relationships. Ask yourself, my relationship with the person I love is on a core level or an expression level? You'll often find that relationships will wane when it only has expression. You know, you may be very personal, social good with each other. You may be well intimate with each other. 
You may have a sense of humor you like with each other, but if there isn't that connection, that chemistry that connects you at the core, that even when something isn't working out so well, will you st- are you still fundamentally bound as one? And then often we answer, not necessarily. When things are going well, it's good. When it's not well, it's not. So some people have a very good expression, expressive relationship. But the core, something is missing. And then you have the other way around. Sometimes you have the core, that like, you know, two people really have the connection, but they don't have the tools. They have not learned how to speak to each other, how to deal with crisis, how to deal with a disagreement. So the core becomes obfuscated by the immediate battles that they fight. So this is where it applies there. Same thing with our children. Ask yourself, your connection to your children, if, there's, if it's going through some type of rocky or ups and downs, is it on the core level? It should never be on the core level because children have a core connection with you. So is it on the expressive level? But where is the challenge? And if you can look at everything in life this way, you'll see it all comes back to these two elements. Your job, your work. Now, work for most people is a means. It's a means to make money. And, uh, you know, maybe it has some other distractions, but it's a means. So your work, but often becomes your identity. Your work becomes more important than your family. That's basically your expression has taken over and hijacked you. And that's where you're busy with. You'll say, no, but my love is with my family. They say, but where's the time going? Could all be good intentions, but it's concealed. So work too has to be put into context. Now work also could have a core element. If you can define your work as fulfilling part of your life mission, that's not just a job, but it also fulfilling something, life mission, then it gets integrated with your core. Everything in life, and that's what you find so fascinating, especially in Judaism, you find you take a little piece of food, a drink of water, you make a blessing. What are you doing? It's just a glass of water. You're not just saying thank you. You're infusing a detail of your life, an expression with a core principle. Faith, gratitude, appreciating something deeper. If you're familiar with the Kabbalistic and the Hasidic concept of elevating sparks, you're elevating a spark. And the same through every part of your life. So tremendous lesson you could take from Chayel, from these two great luminaries, their birthday, is that look at your life today, make a list of everything you've been doing, that you do, and, and define, where's the core side, where's the expressive side? Where am I stronger in, where am I weaker in? Can I connect the two? You may also discover that some things you should just discard, some things are not a core and, not, and shouldn't be part of your expressive life. There's some things there's no choice. You have to take out the garbage. You have to commute. But even that you can infuse with some deeper purpose. And But most importantly is to define what are the means and what is the end. What is the core and what is the expression and want to join the two in one symbiotic relationship. So it really can transform and revolutionize your life. Now I mentioned before that this came a particular period in time, 1698, 1745, the respective birth years of these two great luminaries. Because, yes, we were entering the modern world, a world which is much more complicated than this context. When we lived in a, the old world, it had its complica- complications, but you didn't have the time, the leisure, the material comforts that we have, the comfort zones. People struggle 10, 12 hours a day in a field. And they had their challenges, but the simple struggle for survival, in a way, kept us out of trouble, relatively speaking. 
Today we have far more options. Materialism is today a force, a real force in life. It was always a force, but now it can occupy hours and hours and hours. So it's so much more important to realign ourselves and recalibrate where do you stand, your core, your expression, and to connect the two in our lives. The etzem and the giluyim, the etzem and the ispastus, the core and its extension, that's the word, extension and its expression. A good building has a strong foundation and a strong core, but it also has many beautiful rooms and floors and departments. Every business has a core element, the mission statement, but then the mission statement is, is expresses itself in many different projects, very different programs and services. Everything that's successful has those two elements. Here we're, of course, talking about on the transcendent level and on the expressive level. How does it apply to religion and spirituality? Exactly the same way. Religion without soul can become a mechanical by rote Judaism or religion. You're doing rituals. It may have value in the traditional sense and it creates connection and community, but soul is what touches the core, touches you. Today, many people will say they're very spiritual or they're spiritual but not religious. They're basically saying, I'm soulful, but not technically uh, following rituals or particularly connected to a particular religion. When the Baal came to teach us to reintroduce the soul, the soul passion in prayer, in faith, that's not just something we do blindly. But at the same time, you need that, but then you need to express it in intelligence, in emotions, in a cognitive and emotional experience, and of course in action. Thought, speech, and action. As the Alter Rebbe writes in his classic, the Tanya, she writes right, in the, right on, the, on the cover page, the purpose of this book is to explain well how the soulfulness and the divinity and the Torah mitzvah is relevant to you in your mouth, in your heart, and your actions in a long and short, long and short way with God's help. What is he referring to? He's referring to a verse in the book of Deuteronomy, which we read the uh, Shabbos before, the week before Rosh Hashanah, where God, when Moses is telling the people his last will and testament, you may think that this journey to the soul, this journey to God, this journey through, the, through, through life, finding deeper purpose, the journey to Torah, mitzvot, and so on, is inaccessible. So I'm telling you, no, it's not in heaven, it's not across a wide sea, it's not distant. Kikarov, it's relevant to you personally. Essentially what the Baal Shem Tov was teaching, that it's there, it's available to you. And this book, Tanya, is Eich Hukarov, how it's available. Moses said it's available. The Baal Shem Tov showed that it's available. The latter. And I will teach you in this book how. And what does he teach? How to access the soul, how to deal with the struggle between material interests of what he calls the animal soul and the spiritual and transcendent interests of the divine soul and how to reconcile and how to find self-control in life and how to find transcendence in a material existence. In a detailed book that addresses every step of the way. This is something I speak about to inform so, much of my, so many of our, my classes, especially on Sunday night when I do my life chassidah applied. If you're not familiar with that, I do a Sunday night program that applies these teachings to real life, psychological challenges and issues, and so on. So there we have a birthday of two great luminaries. I would say a transformative one, transforming history and the human race. 
Because these teachings provide us with a blueprint how to actually find yourself, the Kabbalah of you, and the Kabbalah of how to express that you and bring it into this world. And it's exhilarating because what you discover is dimensions of yourself you may never even have been aware of. And more beautiful, you're able to express it like an artist in everything that you do and in your relationships. So in the merit of these two great giants, may we glean from them direction, guidance, and of course power and strength and courage to forge ahead and apply these teachings in our own personal lives. If you want more information, please go to our site at MeaningfulLife.com. You'll find plenty of resources there with more reading material or write to us. We're readily accessible and available at MeaningfulLife.com. Everyone have a very blessed year as we continue this journey every Wednesday. And uh, in the spirit of these two great luminaries, may we find those two luminaries within ourselves to illuminate our lives in every possible way. Be well, everybody. Thank you.